put your hands on your heart. Father, I just thank you for every person here. Lord, we're asking you for ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart to receive the word that you have for us this morning. God, thank you for your presence. And Lord, we thank you for what you've already done, but we thank you, Lord, that you have more that you want to do this morning before we leave. So we ask you to just lay it on us and, and we'll be good receivers. Said that out loud. I'm a good receiver. Amen. Amen. Well, tell your neighbor they're looking good today and you can be seated this morning. And believe them when they say it. Believe them. Believe it when they say it. Amen. <clears throat> Would, wow. I'm trying to think of where to send you. Turn over to Nehemiah chapter 1. How many of you know who Nehemiah was? Nehemiah chapter 1. <clears throat> God is, is a holy God. In the book of Revelations, it talks about the, the four creatures that stand before the throne and they cry out continually, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. How come they wouldn't use words like gracious, 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 gracious is the word, Lord God Almighty, or good, God is good, 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 good is the Lord God Almighty. Why would they use the word holy? Because holy is the word that best describes the character of God. It's who he is. We live today in a season of grace. Why? Because of the finished work of the cross. Did you know that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four gospels, are a continuation of the Old Testament? <laughs> Because Jesus doesn't die on the cross until the end of the book. Because it's the finished work of the cross that's the dividing line that takes us out of the season of judgment into a season of grace. And so we've come into that season, but I feel like we've gotten pretty good at that season. We've got pretty comfortable in that season. We've gotten kind of lax with the soberness of the righteous judge that God is. He's a righteous judge, and we'll stand before him. Somebody told me, they said, well, you know, I believe in once saved, always saved. Well, I was reading in Revelation today, and I saw where someone's name could be blotted out. I don't know about you, but that causes me to look at my salvation and work it out with fear and trembling. So I, I want to talk to you this morning about the fear of God, but the kind of fear that is a reverential fear. It's a, it's a respect. My dad passed away in um, my mom's uh, husband for over how many years? 50, 54 years. And uh, I was born in 1967. That was a good year for them. But... <laughs> <laughs> but, but my dad passed away in, in uh, 2013, and he died on, on September 11th, ironically. Um, but my dad, I had a healthy, respectful fear of my dad. How many of you can identify with? But I wasn't afraid 
of my dad. I had a healthy respect. I had a reverential fear of my dad, but he loved me. He loved me in ways that I didn't find out about until after he was gone. He made great sacrifices so that I could go to a Christian school, so that I could learn the word of God, so that I could stand where I'm at today, and so that God could do what he's done in my life. And so I'm I'm very grateful, but let me tell you, I remember a time. It didn't happen often, but I had my fair share of times when I was not where I was supposed to be. And I remember one time, back then you didn't have cell phones. You know, you had, fortunately we had the push button phones. We weren't rotary still, but, but I do remember rotary well. But, but I remember my dad located me and he called me. That, that scared me alone, the fact that he found me. And he called me and he said, son, I would like for you to come home. And when he said it, I mean, my heart just melted because I knew he loved me but I had that fear that reverential fear that brought me home and and I I obeyed and and in the church I think sometimes we forget to look back into the Old Testament New Testament is so important But the Old Testament is just as important. How many of you know that? Because the Old Testament is about the Son of God. It's about Jesus. The whole book, it's not just the New Testament that talks about Jesus. It's the Old Testament that points to him. uh, The entire Old Testament. And so let me give you an example. So in the Old Testament, there was a man named uh, Uzzah. Remember Uzzah? So... So they, David decided he wanted to bring the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. But the problem was he didn't bring it the prescribed way that God said to bring it. Only priests, Levitical priests, were eligible to carry the Ark. And they carried it by poles. And there was a, there was a correct process of how they were to bring the Ark into Jerusalem. But they didn't. They got, they got a new... They went new on them. They got some new oxen, you know. They got a nice new um, trailer, flatbed trailer. And they loaded the ark on this trailer or on this cart. That's what it was. And so this cart. And so they go down the road. Well, the the oxen stumble. And the cart gets kilter. Uzzah thinks the ark's going to fall off. And he reaches out his hand and he touches the ark of the covenant to stabilize it. And he dies instantly why because unholiness touched holy now here's the good news we've been made righteous because of the finished work of the cross you and I are not holy we are made holy in him that's why the word of God says to put on the Lord Jesus Christ put him on why what happens because when you look at me and I've put Jesus on suddenly you're no longer seeing Phil now you're seeing Jesus shining through Phil (laughs) and that's a better person to see let me tell you it's him shining through me right so so he wants us to put on the Lord Jesus Christ we're made holy in him but there's this holy reverential 
fear, healthy respect that God has called us to, even in the season of grace. Because grace is not, not a, uh, we can't drop our shoulders and get comfortable in grace. There, there still is, is a reverential respect for the king, you know, because, well, you know, I just, some people refer to God as the man upstairs, you know, I, I heard about this young kid said, he's, God's my homie, you know, and well, before he was your homie, he's king. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and just because you're not struck down immediately like Uzzah was, doesn't mean that everything that you do is pleasing to him. All right. So, here's why I'm saying that, is we'll never be able to respect God until we understand his holiness. And we'll never be able to love him until we understand his holiness fully, the way we need to. All right. Well, that went over big, so I'm going to, if I haven't offended you yet, um, let me keep trying here like Pastor Bill says. <laughs> so, so here's the good news. You and I were created for intimate friendship with the Father. He wants to be your intimate friend. And I, one thing I've discovered with my children, uh, we have two kids. We have a daughter named Becca who is 28 years old. She's married in Tulsa. And then my son was the one playing the guitar leading worship. His name is Zach. And he's, are you 26 now? Okay. Yeah, sometimes I don't get their age right anymore. Um, but anyway, um, when, when they were children, when they were born as a baby, obviously we had to take care of everything. And we nurtured them and we de- helped develop them, right? And then they became adults. When they became fully mature, a transition happened. They needed a parent all during this season, but now I'm in a place where I get to be friends with my kids instead of being dad all the time. That's, that's a lot more fun, you know? I enjoy it. But here's the problem with some, for some parents is they're trying to be their kid's friend when they're six, seven, eight, nine, and they're in this season where they don't need your friendship, they need your, to parent them. Yeah, big amen there from parents. Yeah, okay. Um, and <laughs> that's good. And so, so what God does is you're born again, and when you're born again and you receive Jesus, you make him the Lord of your life, and you get saved, he's so gracious to us. I mean, you know, I, we, we lay hands on people and pray for them, and they get healed. That's how amazing God is. I mean, God, like, he, he really wants to get you going in your, Christ, in your Christian walk with him right? And so it doesn't just stop there. You've got that first phase of a baby where he's doing everything for you, but then he starts to develop you. How does he develop you? Through pruning. Yeah, snip, snip, right? And, he, he, and through testing and through trials. And what does it do? It perfects your faith. Your faith gets stronger. I mean, have you ever gone through just a major test and you came out on the other side and you came out in victory? And so then the next time that you face that same test, you were like, 
All right. Why? Because we've lifted this weight before. We can do it. I heard about this. I heard about. I probably shouldn't tell that story because I don't know it well enough. But here's here's the thing. So I'm going to stop. Sorry. I was fear of the Lord right there. <laughs> That's what that is. Don't want to get into something I get in trouble over. But here here's what was interesting to me when I was telling you about how I watched the the Passion of the Christ, and I'm I'm just watching that movie from the perspective of what it must be like for the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords to come to his creation and to be treated so shamefully when the entire time he's just wanting to save everybody to bring everybody close into intimate relationship, friendship with him. How disheartening that must be for him to see people reject him, but then also to see Christians who were unwilling to share his good news with others. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. And, and I, I just began to think about this. I began to think about what that must be like for him because the Bible says in Isaiah that he is the man of sorrows. He's still the man of sorrows today. So, so this last week we were in, um, we had the privilege, we took a, a group of people to the Jesus Image Pastors Conference down in Orlando, Florida. And so um, we really, uh, it, it, it's two days of just like really good. But anyway, um, we, uh, so while we were there, there were one of the, one of the pastors that was there. Um, he spoke, but he didn't tell this story there. I heard this story earlier before we went. And one of the stories he shared was he was walking through the auditorium on his way to his office. His office was like in the back part, and he had to walk through the auditorium. As he's coming through the auditorium, he doesn't see it because it's dark in the auditorium, and there's a woman over here at at the pew, and she's knelt down, and she's praying. And he said, I I was just going to walk right by her until I heard what she was praying, and I stopped and I listened to her prayer. And you say, well, what, she, what was she praying? Well, she was, she was comforting God. <laughs> she was comforting the king of the universe. And she was apologizing, saying, Lord, I'm so sorry. That Christians let you down. I'm so sorry. that I mean, she, I, I, was, I was like, whoa. Well, then I began to think about Nehemiah. You're there in Nehemiah, right? You remember Nehemiah? So Nehemiah is taken captive in the Babylonian captivity, right? And so he's in bondage and he becomes cupbearer to the king. So he's doing his tasks and he has no idea what's in front of him. He's like, he's like, you are now with your life. You don't know what God has in store for you out in front. You don't know what it's really going to look like eventually. You might have some thoughts, but it, you know, if you're following God, it's amazing. It just turns into this great adventure. And so Nehemiah is serving the king, and then he sees some people that come back from Jerusalem, and he's wanting to find out what do, what do things look like in Jerusalem? And they said, well, it's terrible. I mean, you know, they're li- people are living in abject poverty. The walls of the city have been torn down. 
And in that day and time, the walls of the city being torn down was, was the worst kind of insult to a nation. And he begins to mourn. Nehemiah begins to cry, begins to mourn over what's going on. So God begins to ask me some questions. Let me, let me tell you his questions he asked me. Uh, do you mourn over the condition of your nation? Do you accept responsibility for its current state? It's getting quiet in this Baptist church. Are you rebuilding the wall or are you tearing it down more? Listen to the prayer Nehemiah prayed. It's in chapter 1, verse 6. It says... Please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant which I pray before you now day and night for the children of Israel, your servants and confess the sins of the children of Israel which we, underline we, have sinned against you. And then notice this next statement. Both my father's house and I have sinned. Wow. Wow. So Nehemiah is wanting to bring comfort to Israel. <clears throat> and God leads him to rebuild the wall. And he brings comfort to Israel. Well, think about Moses. Moses is up on the mountain. He is enjoying the sweet fellowship with God that all of Israel was supposed to be enjoying. Because all of Israel was supposed to come up the mountain with Moses. But they didn't. They were afraid. They didn't want to come with him. And I, I, it's the same today. Some people don't want to enter into worship. They don't want to enter into something that may seem a little beyond their comfort zone. But yet God is inviting you into relationship with him. It wasn't uncomfortable. Many of you don't know. I called my wife for the first time cold turkey. She didn't even know I was going to call. And I didn't, even know, I didn't even know her all that well. We'd talked, we'd spoken once. And I asked her out on a date. And something amazing happens when you get out of your comfort zone. There's the potential for a yes. Can I get an amen from somebody? <laughs> there's, a, there's a potential for a yes. And I, glory to God, received a yes. And, but she did tell me it was only as friends. We didn't get married until five years later, but it's all good. We got married. So, but, but think about Moses. He goes up the mountain. He's enjoying the sweet fellowship. And then God says, I need you to get down the mountain now because the, people, the children of Israel have sinned. They've made a calf of gold and they're worshiping it and they're prostituting themselves out in front of it. And I need you to get down there. In fact, and so Moses says, yes, sir. And he starts going down the mountain. Well, then God passes him and he says, out of my way, I'm just going to kill him. Well, how's that sound? I'm just going to, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to take care of all of them and I will raise up another nation from you, Moses. And Moses, what does he do? He brings comfort to God. He says, Lord, he says, 
please don't do that. He said, think about Egypt. Think about what they're going to say in Egypt, that you delivered us from Egypt so that you could kill us in the wilderness. That's what they're going to be saying. And what does he do? He comforts him. But Moses was a friend of God. He spoke face to face with God as a friend talks to a friend. What about Abraham? That was Abraham too, right? He was a friend of God. Okay. In fact, it says in James, you don't have to turn there, but James 2 verse 23, it says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called a friend of God. Well, friends believe each other, don't they? All right. So I've talked to you about that. So let's look at the scripture. Turn over to Psalm 25. Psalm 25. Say this out loud. I'm getting all I can get out of this. Good for you. Because that's, that's the only way this works. And is Don't draw on heaven. Don't draw on Phil. Okay? Let God speak. Because what that'll do is that'll suck it through me. That's awesome. All right. <clears throat> Psalm 25, look at verse 14. I'm going to read it to you from the New Revised Standard Version. It says, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. And he makes his covenant known to them. So friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. Remember last week we talked about John 15, abide in him and he will abide in you. In verse 15, Jesus said, no longer do I call you servants For a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my father, I've made known to you. So friendship with God then causes him to share things with you that you wouldn't normally see in scripture. That's pretty cool. So what is the fear of the Lord? Let's answer that question. And you're welcome to turn here, but these are really short verses, and so they'll be on the screen, but I'll read them to you. In Proverbs 8, verse 13, it says this, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. What does hate evil mean? It means to hate sin. It means that you love what God loves and you hate what he hates. Phil, that's a strong word. I, I didn't say it. It's right here. It's right in Proverbs. He said it's to hate evil, hate sin. We don't hate the sinner. We hate sin. People are able to make choices. We don't hate the homosexual person, but God hates the sin of homosexuality. Same sex, having sex with one another. I mean, he's pretty simple about it, isn't he? But he also hates lying. Uh Uh-oh, he hates gossip. Wow. Here's the other thing. There's two things that fear the Lord are. That's the first thing, hate sin. You say, Phil, how do I hate sin? You ask the Holy Spirit to help you feel the same way about sin that God does. He will. The amazing thing to me about the Holy Spirit is everything I ask him to do, he has always obliged me. I've asked him to help me hate sin, to feel the way that God does about it. And it's amazing 
how my heart gets stirred when I'm watching something and I'm like, I can't watch this. Why? Because it's not pleasing. Because it's bothering my heart. He's the one that, oh man, this is, this is that part where he says, I, I will write my word on your heart. That's why it bothers your heart. And sometimes people are under conviction, but instead of yielding to the conviction, they push through. And then you know what happens? Callus begins to grow. I point to my finger because you play guitar, you have calluses on your finger. You know, or you get calluses like where my ring is. And what happens? Your heart gets tougher. This skin right here is really tough because this ring has been here for 31 years. Never, I don't think I could get it off if I tried. But, I mean, it's been there for a lot of years. And so there's a big old callus here. Well, that's not a tender part of my body, right? And God doesn't want your heart to become like that, which is what happens when you choose to ignore conviction of your heart. Of your heart. Here's the second one. It's in Psalm 33, verse 8. It says this, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Stand in awe of him. <clears throat> so many people stand in awe of celebrities, athletes. I mean, I, I listen to conversations. I'm like, wow, he's talking about them almost like they're a god. And I'm sorry, there's only one God. There's only one God. Okay, wait, wait a minute. When we talk about awe, let's just, let's just vocalize a couple things, okay? So, like, God creates the world and everything in it because there's nothing on the planet that's above the ground that didn't start in the ground. I mean, God is amazing. Am I right about it, Mr. Engineer? Yeah. All right. Okay. I just bounce it off the engineer people. But, okay. So, I mean, he, he created the earth. Not only did he create the earth, he sustains it. He maintains it. Keeps it going. I mean, if we spun off axes just, just a little, we would burn up and fry. You know? And then, not only that, I got news for you. So God said, because, because of what's happened in the Garden of Eden, God says, you know what? I'm, I'm going to destroy the planet. Who can destroy? You're not going to be here, by the way. Nobody's going to be on the planet when this happens. I, don't, I, I hope not. <laughs> I hope not. But, he's, but this planet's going to be destroyed. It's going to happen. All right. Well, who can, do, who can, first of all, destroy a planet? But secondly... Then he's going to build a new heaven and new earth. And you and I are going to come back. <laughs> We're going to live. Oh, that's going to be a good place. Come on, Steve. We're going to enjoy that. It's going to be great. I'm so excited about it. So this is the kind, this is the kind of God that I'm talking about, that we're to stand in awe. Last time I saw him, Michael Jordan could not palm the earth. He could palm a... A circular thing of leather, right? All right. Just next time. Next time you think about it. Remember, remember, remember the disciples, they were walking through Jerusalem, and they said, Lord, look at these amazing buildings. They were in awe over the buildings. Look at these buildings. Look at these structures. Look at this amazing. And, and it must have been, I mean, come on, Solomon's temple, that must have been something pretty spectacular. But Jesus said, do you see all this? There won't be one stone left upon another. 
that won't be thrown down. God will not be second to anybody. See, God, us. Okay, just wanted to give perspective there. In Malachi 2, verse 5, it says, My covenant was with him, one of life and peace, and I gave him, I gave them to him that he might fear me. Rebecca, could you come help me? Thanks. So he feared me and was reverent before my name, meaning he stood in awe of my name. Not only do we stand in awe of God, we stand in awe of his name, the great I am. That means everything I could ever want is in him. One of the greatest teachers to me that, that preaches about the fear of God is, is a lady, um, Joy Dawson. And, I mean, she's just been a mother in the faith to a lot of people on this subject. Well, I was watching, I was watching a video on the fear of the Lord, and I just transcribed what she talked about when she talked about the four levels in relation to sin. And I want to read it to you. If that's okay. She says this. She said the first level is the person who doesn't sin because the consequences are too great. The person may want to commit adultery with another person, but they are too afraid to be found out and the consequences are too great. But there is a love for that adultery in their heart. Therefore, there is no hatred of the sin. Does that make sense? So they enjoy meditating on it. They can say, I've never committed adultery, so I fear God. But they don't fear God because they don't fear the sin. They don't hate the sin. I mean, she said. Second level. Is the person who doesn't understand that because there are some things in their lives related to righteousness that they love and do right. For instance, never, they never let a bill go unpaid. They never miss church services. They always bless others out of their excess. They give to charity. And if you were to ask them if they fear the God, they would respond with, haven't you noticed my life and the way I live? <clears throat> but they have no awareness of the sins of self-righteousness, pride. They want peace at any price and they never want to get involved in human need. Can never understand someone radical, pioneering something different like a missions work. They have the attitude, don't rock the boat. Let's just not rock the boat. Last I heard, there's no reward and no risk. There's no hatred of sin, of lack of disobedience to be involved in the Great Commission, no hatred of the sins of prayerlessness, no hatred of pride, complacency, disobedience. Yet everything looks good from the outside. It's the sins of omission. And then third is the sincere Christian who really wants to do right and looks into the Word of God and sees his priorities. They are trying to do their best uh, that they can to be obedient to him. But every now and again, sins perhaps the same, in the same area, character weaknesses in their life, they get really upset because uh, uh, they get really upset about it 
and go to God and say, Lord, I've blown it again. Here I am confessing again. They cannot understand why they confess sincerely and then they are back a week later confessing the same sins. We've talked about this in, in our series that we're doing on intimacy with God that in the outer court is where so many Christians just spend their time because that's where the cross is. They come into the outer court, they get forgiveness of sins, they get cleansed from unrighteousness and they go right back out and wind up in the same sins again. And they never, see, because here's what happens. The deeper that you come into the tabernacle, the deeper that you, closer that you come to the presence of God, the more things have to get stripped off your life. And what happens though is if you go all the way in and those things get stripped off of your life, now you are in him. The enemy can't get in there. got one amen there fourth level is the Christian who has the fear of the Lord upon their lives and they hate sin have you ever noticed that when we hate to do something we don't do it that's revelation right there (laughs) if they sin they want to immediately bring it to God and get cleansed from that sin because they can't stand to feel that way. They can't stand to know that they have sin in their life. So where does sin start? All sin starts in your thoughts. For as a man thinks, so is he. Listen to what Joy said. I love this statement. She said, we are not what we think we are. What we think we are. I probably need to say that again. We are not what we think we are, what we think we are. As a man thinks in his heart, as a woman thinks in her heart, so is she. The battlefield is right here. So I want to read, turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 10, and I'm going to land the plane. See, sin... Why does God hate sin so much? Because it's the very thing that separates him from us. It keeps you from being able to draw near to God. It keeps him from being able to have the close, personal friendship with you that he wants to have. Why did Moses have an amazingly close relationship, friendship with God, and nobody else in Israel did? Well, look at his life. He gave up everything to take hold of the pearl of great price. Some people are not willing to turn loose of things. They left Egypt, but Egypt didn't leave them. But look back in Egypt and you read about Moses and Moses, he chose to live with the Israelites, even though he could, you know, he could enjoy the sin of Egypt. If anybody tries to tell you that sin's not enjoyable, they're lying to you, okay? Because it is. But the problem is it's for a season. Last I checked, season's end. That means it's, it's for a while and then it's over. And it always destroys a person's life. Deuteronomy 10 verse 12 says this. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God? to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord, 
your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you today for your good. Man, this is healthy fear, the hatred of sin. Like John the Baptist said, he said, he said, he must increase. I mean, I, he must increase. I said it right, didn't I? Yeah, Jesus must increase and I must decrease. Man, that's the way up. Do you know how you go up in the kingdom of God? You go low. You get lowly before him. You get honest. You get rare. You get, I mean, just wide open. And you talk to God in your prayer room, in your private secret place as you get before him. And you get completely open with him. God, this is where I'm at. I'm struggling in this area. Because here's what happens. is you get so close to him, things just begin to fall off of you. I mean, he, he does a quick work. He loves you so much. He doesn't want that stuff on you any more than you do. Phil, you don't understand. I mean, I, I, I struggle with lust. I can't tell anybody. You, will, you get on your knees before God and say, Lord, this is my problem. It's not, it's not a problem. It's a sin. Call it what it is, by the way. Lord, I need help with this. Oh, man, just your willingness to come to him? Man, when he becomes our first love, when we begin to pursue him, he, he begins to take these things off of our life. He begins to, to coach you. I don't know how, I don't know how non-Christians live. You know, man, if I wasn't saved, I'd be on antidepressants. And I'd be doing drugs and smoking something. <clears throat> I would be. But thank God for his grace and his mercy because he takes you by the hand and he literally leads you to the ways of righteousness. So I wanna, we're going to do a couple of things because I want to encourage you this morning in here <clears throat> we've had we've had the seeds of the world planted in our heart long enough too long now the seeds of the world what do, what do I mean by that I mean they they get planted in our heart because you've got gates that things can come in through you've got your eye gates you've got your ear gates you you know and and I've experienced it in my own life where the seeds of the world have come into my heart. But God is able to uproot seeds. I'm not going to lie to you and tell you it's going to be easy. It's simple. But it doesn't feel good for your flesh to die. That doesn't feel good. It's not enjoyable to your flesh, but what it does is it produces life. Oh, man. Imagine having victory instead of giving in to temptation. Imagine being completely free from thoughts of adultery or trying to fake the fact that you're, you know, living for God when, when you're really struggling in areas <clears throat> so I'm, I'm going to ask everyone well Lord 
would you just begin to pray in the spirit with me for a moment let's begin to pray thank you Father thank you Lord Jesus